I invite you to turn over in your in your bulletins over on page three. You'll find our our scripture text for this morning. We've been studying the book of Ephesians at Emmanuel for quite a while, and we entered into this new section last Sunday where Paul unfolds for us how it is that the gospel can grip even the relationships within our homes. How the grip of the gospel can have impact in our homes. And we began looking last week at at the relationship of husbands and wives, a passage so long and rich, we wanted to make sure to get as much of it as we could, so we're dividing it into, into two weeks uh, we won't have opportunity to, to restate everything we said last week, so if for some reason you missed it, I encourage you to, to go back. Uh, the audio and video is, is both, uh, both are up there on our website. Uh, but we will read the scripture again. Um, we, we mentioned last time that Paul begins, uh, what we're going to study, 22 to 33, he begins that right in the middle of a sentence. Uh, the sentence starts all the way back there at verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he talks about various ways that the filling of the Spirit has effect. And part of the, the effect of the filling of the Spirit is even in the homes of believers. Uh, and that uh, comes right into his description. We'll start at verse 21 with our reading. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Our great God, this is your word, and we are your people. So we pray that you would do that good work uh, that fits with your heart and your purpose. Lord, according to our need, according to your truth, and that everything that's done and heard would honor you and build up your own, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what story did you tell this week? What story did you tell? Not thinking of that dinner table conversation where you recounted the great tale about what happened at work or, 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 uh, or during the day, but the story you told with your very life. The story that shone forth from your very being 
throughout this week. What story did you tell? Last week, we, we talked about how every believer, by nature of being in Christ, every believer is a storyteller. That we're designed by God, connected to the Lord Jesus, to reflect and tell his story. With our words, and with our actions, with our relationships. Uh, you're a storyteller. And that is true, Paul tells us here, uh, in the midst of our marriages, telling a greater story. It's the, the greater story, the greater marriage uh, of God's great story that takes place down through history. Uh, we said last week, it is the marriage that's made in heaven because it begins all the way before the foundation of the world where God sets his love upon his bride, his people, the church, you, me. Uh, begins before the foundation of the world. God sets his love on his bride. But it's also the marriage that ends up being made on earth because in order to rescue and draw to himself and save his bride, the Lord Jesus comes and lives and dies for his bride. And then, even now, the Lord Jesus, through his word and spirit, is nourishing and cherishing his bride, perfecting and sanctifying until we're drawn to him, full, complete, spotless, for all eternity, that great celebration of that greater marriage. That's the story of the world. That's God's plan for the world. From creation and even before, all the way into uh, eternity uh, to come. It's God's story. It's God's marriage story. And God creates human marriage to reflect, to image, to tell that greater story. Uh, so the question then becomes, how good of a storyteller are we? Uh, that's what Paul is, is instructing us on, encouraging us how we, in the midst of our relationships, can be better storytellers. Uh, last week, we dis discovered that it's that greater story, that greater marriage, uh, that, that, that helps to control and direct every little piece uh, of the marriage relationship. So we started off saying it's the greater marriage that rules our roles within marriage, that God creates different roles within marriage, and what governs them and, and guides them is the greater marriage. And so, reflecting Christ's headship, uh, the husband is the head. Reflecting the church, the wife is that strong helper. Uh, we said that that then flows out into the specific commands and instruction that Paul gives to husbands and to wives, uh, flowing out from their roles flowing out from that greater marriage. Uh, the wife, we, we looked at last week in detail, uh, playing that role of the church is to submit and respect her husband like the church does to the Lord Jesus. Uh, I encourage you to go back if you missed last week. We talked a lot about what this means and what it doesn't mean. Uh, but So we won't re, re go over that ground. We want to pick up where we left off, which was the command to the husbands. Uh, that, that command, which surprised us perhaps a little bit, the command uh, reflecting the role of Christ to husbands is love. Love. Uh, it's not only the, the command itself that is to reflect the greater story, but actually the details of how and why we love. 
And that's where we want to keep going in the passage. And notice how Paul unfolds for us uh, how the manner of our love and the goal of our love uh, within the home is to tell that greater story of Christ and how he loves and why he loves. So let's take it one at a time. First, the, the manner of a husband's love being controlled by the greater story. So, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what Paul is saying here is that husbands can't just love their wives in any old way. It can't just be, well, I like the the, the, the fairy tale Disney picture of love, I'll do that. Or I like the, the, the Hollywood romantic comedy version of love, I'll do that. Or something else that sounds good to you. You can't, we can't just love any old way. We're told to love the Jesus way. Love the Jesus way. That's our, that's our model, that's our guide. And so Paul then begins to describe how it is that Jesus loves, the manner of his love. Uh, he loved the church, his bride, and gave himself up for her. So it's love uh, that, that's all about sacrifice, even unto death. Uh, that uh, Philippians 2 passage we read this morning, extremely helpful, because what Paul does there is basically expound on what that love of Christ looks like. It's in the context of him saying that, yeah, as believers, we're to imitate that, and then he expounds on, here's how Christ loved. And you can glance at it, it's there at the top of page 3, or bottom page uh, two, there's, this is what the love of Christ looks like. And the big themes that come out are Christ's love uh, has this manner of humility and sacrifice. Humility and sacrifice. Jesus, Paul says, uh, doesn't count equality with God the Father something to be grasped, even though the Son is absolutely equal with the Father in being and glory. He doesn't cling to those privileges and that outward glory. Instead, he humbles himself and makes himself nothing. Not for any reason, but in order to love his bride. In order to be obedient even unto death, death of the cross, uh, that great and ultimate sacrifice, all so that he might rescue, win, and draw to himself his beloved bride. And then Paul says, husbands, that's the manner of your love. That's what it's to reflect. That's what's to, to guide the manner of it. And we could even use Paul's words from early in Philippians 2 to, to kind of flesh this out. So it, it means that we strive to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Uh, nothing out of vain conceit. Uh, in humility, uh, husbands love your wives more significantly. Think of your wives more significantly than yourself even unto death. Not just if it called for some dramatic laying down of your physical life, but even, even the sometimes more difficult daily deaths in order to love the Christ way, the Jesus way. So what's the manner of, uh, of Christ's love? It's all about humility and sacrifice. And that's what we're to shine for. That's what the, the husband is to reflect. That's the story he is to tell with his actions and his words and his presence. But it's also the, the Jesus story, the greater marriage story, that also details and directs the goal of a husband's love. The goal of a husband's love. The love of Jesus for his bride has a very specific direction, very specific goal. 
we just keep reading. Verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So here's Christ's love for us. Christ's love for his people. Christ's love for you, believer, for me. It has a very specific goal in mind. Uh, Christ doesn't just want to kind of mm, sneak you into heaven. Uh, no, his plan is complete transformation. Complete transformation. You could put it this way. God's goal is to transform you into the perfect version of yourself. That version of yourself that you were created to be, but is, is tarnished by sin and darkness and the brokenness of this world, uh, that which is tarnished and twisted. Well, Christ's love is designed to untwist, untarnish, polish, so that you end up, uh, at the end, appearing in glory with the perfect version of yourself. You in glory have a glory in yourself that matches the glory of heaven. That's Christ's plan. That's why he lays down his life. That's why uh, he cares uh, for his bride. He wants to transform his people uh, into, into glory that matches the glory of heaven. That's why he humbles himself. That's why he lays down his life. Then Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. In other words, not as a copycat savior, but in that, having that same goal, having that Jesus goal in mind, uh, husbands are to tell the Jesus story in their relationship. Um, perhaps you could put it this way. Husbands, you can, you can picture for a minute, picture where Jesus is taking your wife. Picture that, that place of glory where, where your wife is transformed into that matching glory, the perfect version of herself. Picture where Jesus is taking your wife and then begin to ask yourself this question. It's the Jesus love question. It's how can I specifically humble myself and sacrifice to help encourage her in that direction? To be, uh, through humility and sacrifice, uh, a, a small instrument in the hand of the Savior uh, on that road to glory. The goal, the Jesus goal, that's to be the goal of a husband's love. How, what does that look like? Well, that's where you got to pray, where God has put you, the specific uh, Individually, he's called you to love and minister to in a particular season of life. Wrestle through it. Pray through it. What does that look like in the specifics? Well, you know what the goal is. Uh, it's that through humility and sacrifice, being an instrument in Jesus' hands to encourage on that road to glory. And then Paul's going to expand on that, though, in verses 28 to 32. And I think what he's doing here is, is making sure we don't misunderstand what he's talking about. That we're not talking about uh, husband as as nagging disciplinarian, kind of like get, get going, faster, get, keep going, come on, 
you know, kind of pointing out every flaw and, and, and just, the, just the one who, who goads uh, transformation. Notice how he talks about this road to transformation. He, he, he flushes it out in very specific terms, 28 to 32. He's reflecting here on the idea that a husband and wife become one. Right? He quotes from Genesis 2. Uh, right? Man leave his father and mother, the two shall become one flesh. They're, they're united. Yet there's a physical reflection of that, but there's a deep spiritual union. So it's the, the uniting of two into one. And Paul says, verse 32, that's telling the Jesus story. Uh, it's the church in Christ, that Christ is united to his people. His body. Think about that for a minute. Jesus' head, church, his body. They're, they're connected. They're one. Jesus' head, you, me, body of Christ. One. Remember how uh, God converts the Apostle Paul? There was Paul uh, running around, persecuting every Christian he could, he could get near throwing in jail, approving of murder, and, and Jesus comes to the Apostle Paul uh, on, there on the road to Damascus, strikes him down with blindness, and says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul's just been hurting Christians. He hasn't interacted with Jesus at all, although he has, because this is his body. These are those who are connected to him, so to harm them, to oppress them, is to harm him. And he says, why are you persecuting me? It's his body. And it's, it's, that then becomes the reason why uh, Jesus is, is so gracious, kind, gentle. Well, look at verse 29. He describes it as, this is how and why Christ nourishes and cherishes his church. Because he's connected to it. It's, it's the Jesus story that we tell all the time with our own physical bodies. right? No one hated his own flesh. You take care of, of your own body. You don't intentionally harm uh, yourself. And so he's saying, okay, husbands, you see this in, in Christ in the church. He's very zealous for those who are connected to him, his, his, his church, his body. Think about what husband and wife is. Two or one. They're connected. How would you care for your own body? That's how you care for your wife. She's connected to you. You're one. So just like, uh, just like Christ, Paul says, uh, our, our goal is to be the nourishing and cherishing of the wife that's connected to us. Providing for, caring for, uh, not in this, in this harsh, dictatorial fashion, because that's not how you care for your own body. Nourishing and cherishing. Those are, those are powerful words, aren't they? I wonder, I wonder if, uh, if we as husbands would be willing to ask this question. I wonder if we'd be willing to ask our wives, what specifically can I begin to do to make you feel more nourished and cherished? Did you ask that? What can I begin to do specifically that would make you feel more nourished 
and cherished? That's a Jesus question. It's also a very different question than the, than the question that sometimes rattles around in our minds and sometimes leaks into our conversations. Uh, the question of, how can I keep her happy? Come on, if we're honest, we sometimes, how, how can I keep her happy? Do you see how that's a very different question? Um, well, first of all, there's, there's this demeaning edge to that question, how can I keep her happy? It's, it's wife as problem to be pacified. Uh, it also has a very self-centered quality to it. Uh, how can I do basically the minimum to keep happy so that I can get back to what I really think is important? How can I keep her happy? The Jesus question, what can I begin to do in order that my wife might be more nourished and cherished? There's one to pray through. There's one to even ask. Feeling a little intimidated? Does this seem hard? Uh, probably if it doesn't seem hard, we're not paying attention. This, this, is, this is difficult. Yeah, because it's Jesus. What, what, hope does, what hope does a husband have? What encouragement does a husband have in the midst of this? Well, it's the bigger story. It's the greater marriage. There's our hope. It's the same thing. It's the fact that, that we, we don't stand by ourselves, but we're connected to the, to the Savior. So there's the one who has already laid down his life to forgive me and forgive every Christian husband for all that sin, for all that, that failure and darkness. There's also that Savior who is flooding us with his spirit, right? The filling of the spirit. We said that's where Paul begins. The, the Jesus who fills us with his spirit so that we might have the mind of Christ, so that more and more we are transformed, so that more and more we can tell this story better and better through repentance, uh, through new new life and new obedience, through through humble dependence on him. So what, what us playing that uh, that part in the story, it has us running back to the bigger story. I need Jesus. And that's exactly what God wants to do in all of us. Uh, running back, clinging to our great hope, uh, the greater story of Jesus and his love. Yeah, even for, even for us. We said last week that we were going to uh, make sure to take time this week to, to talk about how this passage, and specifically the greater marriage story, connects to some of the more difficult situations, the more difficult cases. We're actually just going to focus in on one of them, because it's one I think is especially needs to be mentioned in a context like this, and probably one we don't talk about in church uh, as much as we should. What if a marriage is not just difficult, it's oppressive? Every marriage is made up of two sinners. Every marriage is therefore going to have difficulty and struggle and sin and the need for forgiveness and repentance. Every marriage is going to struggle. But not every marriage is oppressive. You could use the term abusive. That, that's fine. Uh, oppressive is a good biblical word. 
go to your Bible, you'll find the word oppression or oppress or oppressor something like over a hundred different times. This is, this is a word that God likes to use. Oppression. Oppression is what happens when someone in a position of leadership, a position of power, uses that position not to sacrifice in love, but uses that position to dominate, to control, in order to serve themselves. Uh, it's the exact opposite of the picture Paul has been painting us here. We've been seeing uh, the, the Jesus leadership picture. right? What are some of the words we've been using, some of the terms we've been repeating again and again? We've been repeating terms like love, sacrifice, humility, nourish, cherish. Where, where there is uh, oppressive leadership, the, the operative terms, the patterns are, are more... Uh, surrounding terms like this, coercion, entitlement, control, domination, punishment, very different. It's when those latter terms become the theme, become the pattern, become the, the operative uh, rule that you have a situation that's not just, oh, this is, this is a struggle, this is difficult to sinners. This is a situation where there is oppression. Oppression that is both dangerous and grievous to the heart of God. Sometime this week, uh, maybe even before we're done here, the mailman's going to show up and, and deliver a couple of booklets, and they're going to go back there on the, the literature table in the, in the back, uh, written by uh, a classmate uh, that Maggie and I went to seminary with by the name of Darby Strickland. And Darby was in, the, was in the counseling program with Maggie. And for the last 20 years, Darby has been counseling women in the church. Women in the church like our kinds of churches. And hundreds of them. And in, in her, in, in she'll say in conversation and in interviews in her writings uh, that, that she has noticed this come up again and again hundreds of times. She said, it's almost never does a woman come into her office and say, my husband is abusive. She says, it almost never happens that way. Said, almost always it starts, someone comes and they're asking for help with depression or anxiety or, or how can I be a better mother or better wife? Um, and Darby has this gift for asking good questions and being a good listener. And, and she says, there's a, this pattern that often emerges Sometimes it's over months, sometimes years, that out of the fog, you start to see a very clear leadership pattern within the home, and it revolves around terms like coercion, entitlement, uh, manipulation, domination, punishment, control. She says sometimes it is physical violence or the threat of physical violence. Other times it's, it's verbal and emotional tactics like blame shifting and shaming and belittling and controlling. Uh, but, but in either case, uh, what, what Darby does in her writings and in her counseling is she takes those dynamics uh, and holds them up to the light of Scripture. And she applies a biblical word and says, oppression. Oppression that grieves the heart of God. 
because it is the exact opposite of his story. Can you see that? Right? His story is the story of a bridegroom, Jesus, who lays down his life for his church, lays down his life for his bride. In humility and love, he nourishes and cherishes. That's his story. So to tell the exact opposite story angers the heart of God. And it's, it angers him because it's destructive and harmful to those precious ones who were in that situation. Right? What do we say about the Apostle Paul? Right? God said, Jesus says, you're messing with me. How do you think God feels if you're, if you're messing with part of his body? It angers him. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the details. And so you can, you can grab one of those booklets. You can, uh, you can read uh, that or, or some other great authors happy to recommend. But I think in the context of a, a message like this, in the context of a study on passages like Ephesians 5, uh, it's helpful to say a few things. Uh, just kind of throw them out there and try to state them clearly. Because passages like this and discussions of submission have been used as weapons to harm, or just sometimes taught unwisely by well-meaning individuals. So it's helpful uh, occasionally to just say things to just, this should be said, even in the midst of the church. So I'm going to say a few things. One, physical violence or the threat of physical violence is never okay. Coercion, manipulation, punishing control, Never okay. It is always okay to flee in order to get safe and stay safe. A victim of oppression never deserves it or brings it on herself as if the, the oppressor really wasn't responsible for their actions. Never. Submission is not unconditional obedience. So if a husband calls a wife to do something that's sinful or to be a willing participant uh, in, a, in, a, in a sinful, oppressive system, uh, if that's the case, it is right and good for a, for a wife to, in a, in a safe way, declare, I'm going to obey God and not men. Finally, biblical love always shines light in darkness. And so it is good, and it is loving uh, to, in, in a wise way, seek help and begin to ask questions in order to shine light in darkness. Again, a lot of things we're not going to be able to say. It might raise a whole lot of questions. That's actually good. It's good to ask questions. It's good to discuss. Uh, the problems come when there's silence, right? Darkness, sin thrives in silence. Talking is good. Uh, so let's, let's keep talking. Uh, grab a trusted friend. Grab me. Grab Maggie. Uh, grab one of the booklets. Grab one of the women in our own church who has walked this road. I, I, they're not my stories to tell. But I can tell you that I have had the privilege of hearing stories and learning at the feet of some of the most brave, faithful, prayerful women that I know. And it's by hearing and learning from them that I see more of the heart of God. And if they choose in the right time to share their stories with you, then you'll, you'll, be, you'll benefit and be blessed as well. Well, 
Speaking of stories, that is really the whole point. It's about story. It's about story. God's story. Our stories are are tied up with it in a variety of different ways. And somewhere the theme is, is great joy in our stories, sometimes where the theme is great sadness in our stories, but they're never by themselves for the believer. They're always tied up with something greater. And that really is where the hope is. And that's where the encouragement is. Uh, see, our own, our own sin and failures, our own uh, difficulties, the, the darkness that is real and all too present, uh, that's a reminder to us that, that we can never find ultimate hope or ultimate joy or ultimate safety in the things of this world, uh, the relationships of this world. Ultimately, that can't be our hope and joy. But because we're tied to a different story, we have a sure hope. It's a story of a bridegroom who's flawless, one whose leadership is perfect and gentle and powerfully loving. It's a story of a bridegroom who didn't serve himself, but gave himself for us. That's our hope. That's our joy. That's what's going to nourish us and cherish us. That's the one who's going to nourish us and cherish us all the way into eternity. And so the the challenging, difficult things, uh, let them drive you heavenward. Even the joyful moments, let that drive you heavenward as well uh, to that greater story that will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, we, we are... Your people, we are your your body, and so we pray, Lord, you would you would fill us with a sense of your your gracious, undeserved, overwhelming, saving love, and also your perfect care for your own, Lord. Each one, according to the needs that only you know about, you would minister your grace, your word, that what is true would come home, what is uh, what is deceptive would pass away, Lord, and you would be glorified and built up, and we would be built up. We pray in Jesus' name.